0: 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up since all these things are to be destroyed in this way what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for the hastening looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. Okay, so we'll stop right there for now. So he says in in verse 8, he says, do not let this one fact, escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. He says, don't let this escape your notice. There's one fact. There's a little thing here, he says. Don't let this, this one fact, this little thing, escape your notice. It, it, it could escape your notice if you're not careful. So he, he's, he's prompting us. He says, hey, this is important, and you're going to read right past this if you're not careful. You'll go right past it. He says, I want you to pay attention here. Do not let this one fact... It's like like, uh, uh, the professor saying, this could be on the exam. (laughs) Okay? This is what he's saying. He says, this is really important. Uh, Do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So, he's saying that that, um, uh, uh, that God lives outside of time. You know, for those of you who are not, not science majors, you don't, you don't reflect on this. You don't deal so much with this fourth dimension of time. You know, you have three dimensions, uh, uh, the X, Y, and Z dimensions, and you have this fourth dimension of time in a lot of your calculations. And, and once you remove yourself from that fourth dimension of time, then, then you can manipulate in ways that you couldn't when you were restricted uh, 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 with that. And so God lives outside of time. He lives outside of time. So imagine living outside of time. So then what is to us the past, what is to us the present, what is to us the future becomes irrelevant. We see them all simultaneously. That is how God dwells. He sees everything simultaneously. He is living outside of time. And so he is in, in, in order to somehow communicate this to us, he says... Uh, one day is, is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like, like one day. He's not saying it is one day. He's not saying it is the equivalent of one day, because then God would very much live within the realm of time. He wouldn't be living outside that dimension. It's just that he would have a, a, a different measure for it. Some people think that, that uh, uh, people have been around 6,000 years, 6,000 plus 300 or 400, something like that, and so we're just about to end the, the, the seventh the, this seventh of it and from biblical perspective and then the end is going to come. I mean, you can think about all you want on that, but if you look in Psalm 90 verse 4, it says something similar. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. So a watch in the night might be three to six hours. Watch the night. So all of a sudden we've gone from one day to three hours or six hours is 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 like like a, a thousand years. So if we were to have taken it literally, we wouldn't know what to take literally. Is it twenty four hours or is it six hours or is it three hours? So obviously it's not a literal. It's just saying that. Think about a long time. People cannot feel a thousand years we might be able to feel a hundred because people can live sometimes about a hundred years on the extreme. But none of us really feels a thousand years. So he's just saying it's beyond your realm of feeling it now. Because here again, he's giving us a slightly, slightly different metaphor here. He's just saying it's beyond what you can feel. And he says, the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And then he says something again in verse 15, he says, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Okay, so, this is in the first century. This is in in like 65 A.D. So Jesus Jesus has been crucified somewhere within the last 30 years or so from their perspective. And they're like, you know, it's been a while. When is he going to return? You know, it's it's been 30 years here. And, you know, come on, we're ready. You know, if if this is going to happen, it would have happened by now. They're getting impatient for this to the point where they're saying it's not going to happen. And he says, whoa, whoa, just back off here. You know, this could, this could be thousands of years. It could be thousands of years. And the reason he does this is because he's patient. He wants all people to come to repentance. Did you know, uh, uh, if, 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 you, if you go to my YouTube channel, Dr. James Tour, and you look for the interview where I had uh, um, this interview with, with uh, uh, what was his name? Wallace. Wallace something or another. Um, uh, and anyway, there, there's this guy named Wallace. If you just did D.R. James Tour and Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, Wallace, that would come up with an interview that I had with a guy where we talked about this. He wrote this amazing book, and I'm talking about this with him in this interview. And, and you will see that Jesus came, his first coming was at the perfectly right time. Just perfect. It was a time when... He was able to speak these things and the disciples were able to transfer this message all over because the Romans had built roads all over the then known world. And it could begin to transport it. The number of people that had lived from the dawn of of recorded human history to that point had only been about 1% or 2%. It might even be, it's certainly less than 2% of all the people that have lived afterward. So the vast majority of people who have ever lived on earth have been able to hear this message of the gospel. The vast majority of people. How it was the perfect time, the way the Romans were allowing the the Hebrews to speak what they wanted to speak religiously, had given them a sense of autonomy religiously. This was the perfect time for him to come. His second coming will again be at the perfect time. He knows exactly when that should be. We do know. Now, though the rapture, the rapture where the taking of believers to be with the Lord can happen at any instant, we have no sign for when that is going to happen. No man knows the hour. Only the Father knows. That timing can happen at any moment. Could happen before, before this lesson gets done today. The second coming of Jesus is going to happen after certain things happen. Certain things have not happened yet. So, for example, there are going to be seven years of tribulation. There are going to be seven years. We haven't hit those years of tribulation. There will be a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. There is not a temple there right now. There is a mosque there. That will not remain there. We are told in scriptures they will rebuild the temple. So we know the second coming of Jesus is not yet to come. Now, the rapture could come at any instant, but his second coming, There's certain events that have to predate this. And he's saying that when it comes, it's going to come fairly suddenly, though, and you're going to still be surprised. And so he, he, he gives us all of these things. He says, he says he's being patient with us. He's wanting more people to get saved. And that's why he says in verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Everything to him is about salvation. He wants to see souls saved. And I urge you, get that in your heart. That, that, that one of the things is salvation. That we want to see people saved. We want to see people coming to the Lord. Lives change. It is an amazing thing to share the gospel with people that don't really believe and then all of a sudden they believe and they start taking hold and they start walking according to the patterns of the scriptures and lives change. I see it all the time. Lives change. Salvation is not a sham. It is real. And he says Jesus is all about salvation. He is waiting for the second coming because he wants more people to come in and get saved. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So this, this talking about coming as a thief is, is, is this surprise. And this surprise is used both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, particularly in the New Testament, like a thief coming. This, this sort of imagery is used by, by Paul as well as Peter. It's used by John. In, in uh, the book of Revelation, it is used by Jesus in the Gospels. This imagery of the thief, and and uh, um, and this this also the, this description of how the earth is going to be destroyed. Remember earlier on in Second Peter chapter three, it says, "And the earth was destroyed by by water." And we see in Genesis chapter one, verse two where water covered the face of the earth. God made the heavens and the earth in verse 1, and then it was covered with water. Some people think that that was the first destruction of the earth. And then there was a Noahic flood, where there was a flood of, 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 uh, of the land, and, and, uh, um, and so that was another destruction. And he says, but next time it's going to happen by fire. Now, to, to the chemist in me, I know it's very easy to burn up the world with nuclear blasts. I mean, you just, just in, 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 uh, in, in literally um, milliseconds, I mean, you can just fry a city. Just boom, it's just gone. Just amazing how quickly this could happen. And so I don't know if this is a description of it, but it's this next time the earth is going to burn up. And we know from other portions of scripture, it may be two-thirds to three-fourths of the entire land mass We'll, we'll, we'll be engulfed in flames. He says that's how it's going to be destroyed next time. But let's look, look at a, a couple of other verses on this point. So if you look in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And it says, Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So you see, he calls it the day of the Lord. In Second Peter chapter 10, it says the day of the Lord. The, the, the Hebrew readers knew exactly what this meant. The day of the Lord is, is his return. The day of the Lord is going to come, and it's going to be like a thief in the night. So uh, uh, look in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus uses this imagery as well. In in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So what he's suggesting is that how we respond here on earth, how we respond here on earth will affect our futures. It will affect the future. How we respond here on earth does affect our future in the kingdom of God. This is what is going to happen and this is what he's talking about. So you see this sort of thing here. Uh, Look in Revelation chapter 1. I'm I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. Revelation 3 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come uh, come to you. And so... As you're a reader, a scholar of the scriptures, someone who loves the scriptures, you begin to see signs. And when, there's, when the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, it is going to be a major sign for us. And you say, well, come on, is it really going to be rebuilt? Well, I'll tell you, prior to 1948, prior to Israel becoming a nation again, very few people believed that the nation of Israel would be rebuilt. Very few people ever believed that. And then all of a sudden, in a day, in a day, there was a decision in the United Nations, by one vote, for Israel to be reestablished in that same place, by one vote. Boom, it was back. Overnight, it was back. It hadn't existed for 2,000 years, and boom, a nation returns. Exactly as God had said, it happened. I'm telling you, every word in this book is true. Everything comes to pass. We know the temple will be rebuilt right on that same mountaintop, right on that same spot. Where the temple used to be, the temple will be rebuilt. That will be a major sign. I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime or your lifetime, but it will happen. And that is going to be, you'll see the the, the seven years of tribulation that are going to happen. And a lot of these things are going to take place in that time. There are several fires that are noted with, with trumpet blasts that are going to take place during that, that period. At least four fires that are mentioned during that time that are going to take place. And so you see that these things are going to happen. And he says, be on the alert. He says, I want you doing the things that I have for you to do. Look in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is, this is a beautiful portion. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day of the Lord He's speaking about. This is going to be confirmed at his second coming. At his second coming, it will be confirmed. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which has been given to you. Every one of us has been given grace. Every believer in Christ has been given grace. Grace is an undeserved gift. He's given grace to all of us. You may sit around, well, I never really got anything. You got plenty. You got plenty. And he says, I want you to appreciate it. You're sitting on a chair, aren't you? you got a chair to sit on. you got clothes on your back. you got a place to live. He's given you plenty. you got food to eat. Plenty of food to eat. And he says, he says uh, uh, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. If you are able to speak, that is because of the grace of God. In all knowledge. And I think about this. I think, look at all that God has given me. He's given me the ability to speak, the ability to communicate. And he says, when I give you these gifts, if you use them for his glory, what happens is you get more gifts. You get more gifts. They come upon you. He says, in all speech and in all knowledge, everything you have is a gift from God. Everything you have, your ability to take an exam, that's a gift from God. It's all a gift from God. You've been given everything. You were enriched in Him. When you came to Him, you were given extra blessing. Extra blessing. You were enriched in Him. He gives unbelievers plenty of blessings. Unbelievers see just like believers do. Unbelievers hear just like believers hear. Unbelievers can taste food just like believers. Plenty of blessing He gives us, gives to them. But then when you come to Him, you are greater. You get a, a greater enrichment in Him even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift. He has given you all the gifts. Now, you get more of that gift the more you, you use that. The more you, if He's giving you a gift of teaching, the more you teach, the more you are blessed in this. If He's given you some other gift, the more you use that gift, the, the more you get of it. Awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. Blameless in the, to the day of our, uh, uh, in the day of our Lord Jesus. So you see the same sort of imagery throughout. Now let's look back at 2 Peter, verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? He's saying because the Lord is coming again, that is supposed to change our attitude so that we're to walk in holy conduct and godliness. Um, And then he says it again in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, his second coming, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. What he's saying is that when you know the Lord is coming again, it will cause you, when you look at this, you know he's coming again, it will cause you to walk more blamelessly. It will cause you to want to walk in righteousness. Let me give you some examples on this. Before you are married, before you have a significant other in your life, you may be quite haphazard about your life. So I know young guys they drive motorcycles really wild and, and things that because they're not they don't not so worried about themselves. They're, there's no one else depending on them. If they if they get in a, in an accident and die, you know their parents will bury them, but but. No one beyond that is really going to suffer much. I mean, this is the way they think. I'm just telling you, I, I talk with them all the time. But then all of a sudden, they get married. They get married, and they're like, now somebody else is depending upon me. So now, when, when you have somebody else in your life, you start being a little bit more careful. Now, when you have a child, your whole life will change. I'm telling you, young people... they don't care what the the crime stats are in the city, really. Unless they've been mugged, they basically don't care. They're oblivious to what's happening in the city. They have no mind for what's happening in the school systems around them. They'll get an apartment anywhere without any consideration of the local schools. Why should I think about that? I'm already done with school. doesn't bother me. When you have a child, all of a sudden you start thinking about the school systems around you. You'll start caring a lot about what's taught in school. You'll care about the the appearance of the teacher that's going to be teaching your five-year-old daughter or your five-year-old son. You become a much better citizen of that city when you have a child, because you start caring about the local government. You start caring about the crime in that city. You start caring about education in that city. When you see other things around you, it makes you start to care. What he's saying, when you realize that the Lord is coming again, that he's going to appear to you, and, and uh, remember, you are going to meet him one way or the other. You're going to meet him. And, and uh, uh, when you have this sense, it will cause you to want to walk more uprightly because I'm going to see him again. There is going to be a day, a day of accounting here. I'm telling you, it's because there are other generations. You know, there's these, these famous books like um, that human beings stopped bearing children. For some reason, they had, you know, picked up some chemical in their body, and, and, and human beings stopped bearing children. And everybody is working really hard to try to get this thing solved, or this race is going to die out. It's because we have children that we really care about the future, or else we eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we are going to die. It doesn't matter anymore. But when you start having children, you start becoming really concerned. You become a lot more concerned. You become a lot more concerned about your work and your life, your career. I've got to work hard in school because I've got to work hard in high school. Why? Because I'm looking to college. I've got to get into college. And now all of a sudden I'm in college. I've got to work hard because I've got to get into graduate school or I've got to go to medical school or I've got to get a job. You're looking forward to the future, and it's causing you to work hard. I can't just kick back now that I'm in college. I, I gotta well. I, I, I've got to do well because I've got other things that are depending on me in, on the fu- in the future. He says this will cause you to walk uprightly. He says I want you to think about this in life, that you've got to walk uprightly. This whole thing about sin, we cannot mess around with it. You know the thing that will separate you from God? It is sin. Sin separates us from God. I want you to learn to be quick to repent because all of us sin. Just be quick to repent. Lord, I am sorry. I am sorry. It seems like I do this over and over again, Lord, and I keep having to come back to you. I urge you to keep coming back to him. Never think you are too far gone. I'm telling you over and over again, I have come back to the Lord Hundreds of times for the same thing. And you think, you know, oh, come on, what are you talking about? By your age, you've learned. I, I wish that were so. All right? And, and uh, uh, learn to repent before the Lord. Learn to have this relationship. Because what happens is, as we look to the future, he says, remember, you're go- you are going to meet the Lord. And he says, I want you to walk uprightly. I want you to walk uprightly. And people see this in our lives, and they are drawn. This is what draws people. I remember the Nobel Prize winner, Rick Smalley, who had recruited me here to Rice in, in 1999. He watched my family. He watched how I was with Shireen and my kids. And he had had multiple wives and multiple broken homes and, 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 and multiple hurting children. he says, Jim, how do you do this? How, how do you do this? How, how do you have this one wife, and she loves you, and you love her, and your kids love you? And, and he saw this in my life. And he said, I, he said, I want to meet with you. I want to understand what is this power behind Christianity. I mean, here's this Nobel Prize, Prize winner wanting to understand the power behind Christianity. So we're sitting in the Cone House, in the faculty club, eating lunch. And just as we start eating, and we're going to have this discussion. The president of the university walked up, It was Malcolm Gillis at the time, and he had his plate in his hand. That president used to just always go to the faculty club and get a plate and just walk around and sit with somebody. He says, hey, can I join you guys? And uh, and Rick said, yeah, we're talking about the power behind Christianity. He says, oh, I want to hear about that too. And so he sat there too, and I had this, you know, the president of the university and I had the Nobel Prize winner there to hear about the power behind Christianity. People see this and they're drawn. This is the power of God. And he says, you've been given all the grace you need. You have been given. You can call upon this. He says, let this be a marker for you in life. This will change your life. Let it be a marker for you in life. To cause you to walk uprightly because there are other people now depending upon you. There's other people around you who are watching your life. I can't walk like I used to walk. When I got saved, I couldn't Walk with the people that I used to walk with because bad company, the scriptures say, bad company corrupts good morals. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you keep running with the old crowd, I tell you they will pull you down. They will pull you down. It says that that you need to change your lifestyle. Your lifestyle, and that's what he's calling them to. He's calling them to a lifestyle change because the Lord is coming again. You are going to meet the Lord one way or the other, and your future, your future in the kingdom of God as a believer will be affected and directly related to how you lived here on earth. That is clear, clear pattern upon the scriptures. How we live here on earth, how we serve our Lord affects what our future will be like. And he says, don't forget, that future is coming. It may not come, you know, the second coming of the Lord may not be in your lifetime, but you will meet the Lord one way or the other. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the word of God. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon these young people that they would take hold of this word they take hold of the Word of God and they would see the power of God displayed in their lives. Father, do a great work there that they can see the power of God displayed in their lives. And Father, for the unbelievers here, Father, I pray that you would save a soul even today, that I would see with my own eyes a soul saved today. Let me see that for the glory of Jesus and in His name. Amen.